Well, we want to continue uh, in Luke chapter number 19 tonight as we look at the Word of God together. Luke chapter number 19, we have been studying uh, God's Word in Luke chapter 19 verses 11 through 17 regarding occupy till I come. And so we've looked at a few things already together and, and tonight I want to look at this end phrase that he mentions here, till I come. And so tonight I'm really looking forward to the message, looking forward to God's Word, sharing with us uh, the truths that are contained in it. And, and uh, quite honestly, tonight might be more about a, 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 a Bible study than anything else. But I pray that it will be a blessing to you as we are energized uh, to continue to go forward until Jesus Christ comes. Uh, do you believe that Jesus could come at any minute? Amen. I believe every day as I read the news, as I, as I look and see the events around me, that I am reminded on a regular basis that Jesus Christ's return is imminent. And so we say that, we want to understand a little bit more about what God's Word says about that, and so that's what we're going to do today. If you're in Luke chapter num number 19, look in verse number 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, but because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Uh, thou takest up, that thou layest not down, and reapest, that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up the, uh, that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest thou, uh, excuse me, gavest not thou my money into the bank that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him that pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For, he, for I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the great reminder of your coming. And Father, I'm looking forward with every day to the return of your Son. Uh, Lord, I can't wait for that moment. And I pray that, Lord, all those in this uh, uh, church, Lord, and in our community, that you would help us to be faithful to continue to proclaim the news that Jesus Christ is coming again. Father, I love you, and I thank you for our Savior. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look here, I want to look at a couple of things in this. What was Christ's command? It was occupy till I come. What does the word occupy mean? This is by way of review. Continue on in the business. And so what was Jesus Christ's business? Verse number 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And so Jesus Christ again reminds us to continue on this business, and He gives us an end time when we can finally lay down and say, All right, we're at rest, finally. And when is that uh, ending point? 
till I come. And so when Jesus Christ says, he says, occupy till I come. And so be busy about the business until my return. And so as a church, that's our calling today, that we continue to be busy about the business that God has called us because Jesus Christ is returning. And so we're looking forward to uh, to, uh, going forward in this. But, uh, you know, I want to point out a couple of truths here. Uh, In the story, we see uh, that the parable teaches about the nobleman. And he called his his servants to him and he distributed to them a pound. But when he gave them the pound, he says, Now listen, you don't know when I'm coming back, but I'm going away. But I will return again. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, You know, Jesus Christ, when he left, he says, I will return again. That's a promise from God. Can we trust the promises of God? Amen. Amen. I believe we can. I believe that when God says, uh, you know, like in 1 Kings chapter number 19, when Elijah prayed that there wouldn't be rain and God, uh, God said that there wouldn't be rain, that there was no rain for three and a half years until Elijah prayed and, and that happened again. And we can trust God's word when he says he cannot lie in Hebrews 6.18 or Titus 1.2. We can trust God when he says that he's going to do something or that he will do something. We can trust God. And so when he says, I'm coming again, you can bet, your, you bet yourself that he is going to come again. I don't know where I was going with that. I know there's some sort of a slang in there, but I don't even remember what it was, and so I'm grateful for that. Don't help me out if it's something bad. All right. So the question tonight is, are you looking forward to Christ's return? Are you looking for Him to come back? Are you looking for Him to be able to appear uh, in the sky? I tell you what, I am excited about that opportunity. I'm personally looking forward to being able to see my Savior face to face. Not just, not just reading about Him, not just hearing uh, uh, His Word, not just, not just being able to spend time praying, but seeing Him face to face will be a, a reward that I'm very much looking forward to. And so God reminds us here in this to, uh, that we are to continue until He comes. And so tonight as we look at this, let me just, uh, just give a little preface here. There's no way I can give you an entire uh, account of eschatology in the next uh, 25 or 30 minutes. There's no way I can do that. Uh, maybe if I was going to be like Paul and preach until the wee hours of the morning, but I'm afraid some of you might be like Eutychus and fall out on me, all right? So we're not going to go there. So instead what we're going to do is we're going to do a kind of a brief overview regarding Christ's return this evening. But really what I'm concerned about and what I want to spend a lot of time with is what uh, the next big event, okay? Uh, So if I say, what's the next big event in uh, future events, what would you say? I think I heard the rapture by most people. And that is absolutely correct. And so that's what I want to look at this evening. And we're going to uh, kind of uh, focus on that. We're going to hit some of the other events as well. But we're not going to go real in-depth on some of the other events. Look with me at some scripture together because um, uh, as we gather and begin uh, to look at this, uh, I want all of our Bible study tonight to be rooted in the Word of God. So look with me uh, at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1. Second Timothy chapter three and verse number one. If you also want to get um, in, we're also going to look at chapter four and then and Jude. So Second Timothy three. Second Timothy three and verse number one, and we're going to look at the first seven verses together here, as we uh, see uh, some prophecy regarding the last days. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, 
and unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now we could spend quite a bit of time dissecting this, this one passage, but I want, to, want you to get the picture of what we're looking for in the last days is it's not going to be all roses. It's not going to be just a bunch of fun stuff that happens here at the end. And you can read some of Matthew chapter 24 as well and read some of the events that Christ describes there. But, but here in the last days, we're going to see that things will not continually get better as some humanists pro propose. But instead we see the disintegration of, of culture. We see the disintegration of family. We see the disintegration uh, of morals and what is we consider good according to the Word of God. And so as we approach the last days, I want you to, uh, we need to approach it with our eyes wide open. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 2. It says, despite all of those things that I just said in chapter number 3, look at verse number 2. He says, preach the Word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And so here, again, Paul is reminding Timothy, and this is one of his, his last epistle that he's reading, uh, writing here. And as he writes to Timothy in, these, in the last days of his life on the earth, we see that, that he is really charging Timothy as an older man to a younger man, listen, it's not going to get easier for you, it's going to get tougher. And guys, as we approach the coming of Jesus Christ, it's not always going to be easier for us, it's going to be tougher. And so he says here, what we've got to do is remember, we've got to continue to preach the Word of God. We've got to continue to be instant, in season, out of season. Continue to reprove, continue to rebuke, continue to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And so that means that at church, we've got to continue to stay in the Word of God. Because there's going to be a time, and we're seeing that in, uh, and I would say we're seeing that in, uh, and I'll use the term very loosely here tonight, in churches today, we see that, that people are turning away from the truth of God's Word. And we've got to know, so what does the Bible say? What am I supposed to believe about the return of Jesus Christ? And so that is part of why we're here, because there's a lot of apostasy uh, regarding Christ's return. D.L. Moody said this, I have felt like working three times as hard since I came to the understanding that my Lord is coming again. And you know, as we consider uh, our, our, the return of our Savior, it should spur us to action. Not to inaction, but when I study prophecy, it makes me want to get out there and continue to knock doors and continue to invite people to Jesus Christ and continue to be an active witness for Christ because with, if uh, God loves sinners, then I must too. And if God, if God died for me, He died for those who are lost as well. And if they're going to receive Jesus Christ, uh, KY3 is not going to tell them about it. Sorry. Uh, it's got to be us. And so let's, let's see this tonight as a big uh, encouragement for us to continue to go forward with the gospel. That as we see the return of Christ and we see His return is imminent, that we must also be ready. So let's look together at the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4.
In verses 13 through 18, we often read these when we go to a graveside or at a funeral to bring words of comfort because it is very comforting to know what happens with someone when they pass away. But let's look in verse number 17 together regarding this issue of the rapture because I want you to know that the word rapture does not appear in your Bible. It is derived from the Greek word and we basically it is a word that we have adopted for this doctrine. In verse number 17... Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, and that is, that's where we get the word rapture, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's great comfort. And so when people talk about the second coming of Christ, sometimes we get it confused. There's, did you realize that there's two events that, that people get confused that are coming up? So uh, if I could, I'm sorry I don't have any visuals for you tonight. That was in my plan, but it didn't make it with the hospital calls this week. So if we could kind of picture in our minds here, right now we're living in what we call the church age. And so we're enjoying a time where God, it's the Holy Spirit, is alive and at work in our lives and in our community. And when with the Lord leading us, we see God to see people saved. We see people turn their hearts and their lives over to Christ. But then there's the next big event that we're looking for is what we call the rapture. And we're going to get to when does that happen? How do we know the Bible says that that's when that happens next? But the next big event is the rapture. And then on earth, the next event after that is going to be the signing of a peace agreement with the Antichrist, which kicks off seven years of tribulation here on the earth. And we'll talk about that briefly here in a minute. And at the end of that will be the battle of Armageddon, and then Jesus Christ will set up the millennial reign. And then, and so after, uh, during those times uh, on earth, during the tribulation, there's two events that happen for us in heaven. And for, for those who are believers, it's a glorious thing. First off, we meet the Lord in the air, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And so uh, when, when the trumpet sounds, I'm going to go to be with my Lord in the air. Won't that be a good day? Man, I tell you what, it's, it's going to be great to be able to see Christ face to face, to be able to see uh, the sufferings that He still bears in His body, the, the spear uh, points in His side, the, the, the holes in His hands, to be able to still see the signs of the agony that He experienced for me. It's going to be a very humbling moment for me as a believer. But I will get to see the Lord, meet Him in the air. He will not actually come to the earth at that point. And so after that, we're going to go to heaven with Him where we'll experience the Bema Seat of Christ or the Judgment Seat of Christ. And during this time, uh, we will stand before the Lord. And then right immediately after the Bema Seat, we'll experience the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And what a glorious time for the church as we're united with our Lord and Savior. The bridegroom and the bride are finally united. And guess what? There's nothing that can take that away. It's going to be a glorious day. And so uh, at the end of that uh, the time of tribulation, there will be the battle of Armageddon. And the, the Bible talks about different events that happen in, in the book of Revelation, as well as the book of Daniel and the book of uh, Zechariah that lead up to uh, the battle of Armageddon and the preparation of not just the, the armies, but also uh, the land so that that battle can happen. And then at that point... Uh, when the battle begins, we will see Jesus Christ and the armies of God going forth together to battle to vanquish the foe. And so it will be a, a good day. And that is Christ's literal second coming, when He is on the earth, when He comes at the battle of Armageddon. And so tonight, though, before we get to all of that, that's kind of a bird's eye view, I want to just begin at this issue of the rapture. Um, because I, there is some confusion. When does the rapture happen? Uh, many preachers will preach a mid-trib or a post-trib. Uh, and I tell you what, I, I, don't, I don't like those guys because I don't want to go through any of it. 
but more than that, the Word of God does not teach that. The Lord, the Lord teaches a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture. And so let's look at the Word of God together regarding some of this. Uh, and so let me, let me just preface this. Look at 19, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 and 27. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. In Daniel chapter 9, we begin to see that, um, that God teaches about the 70 weeks of Daniel. And there are, um, and he, we were reading verse number 24, about 69 weeks that are completed. But there is one week yet to be completed. And that's the week that we call the seven years of tribulation. Uh, and so let's read this together as we look at God's word. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. You add uh, by the way, if you're new to the Bible, a score is 20. So three score, three times 20 is 60. Very good. Plus two, 62. Plus seven is good. We've got some math whizzes in here. So 69 weeks. And it says, and the wall and even in troublous times. In verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the, of the prince that shall uh, come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. In verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. This is the beginning of that final week uh, and the, of, of tribulation. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. There's many other scriptures that we could read regarding all of this. Obviously, the Bible delves into a lot of this, but I want to kind of give you a bird's eye view of this. He's talking about, uh, about, first off, he says there's 70 weeks that are accomplished. And he talks about the first 69 weeks, and that, those were accomplished when Jesus Christ came and He died on the cross. That's when the time clock stopped. And the time clock will pick up again in verse number 20, 27 when he says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And so when the Antichrist comes and signs a, a peace treaty with Israel, then at that point we're going to see the time clock begin in seven more years of tribulation. Now, why do we call it tribulation? Throughout the Bible, it's called the Great Tribulation, it's called wrath, it's called judgment, it's called indignation, it's called punishment, the hour of trial, the hour of trouble, destruction, and darkness. Quite honestly, it's not a place and a time that we want to be at. These references describe the period in its entirety, not just portions of it, but in its entirety. Um, let me see. All right, so look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 9, please. Norman Harrison, in his book called The End, stated this. Let us get clearly in mind the nature of the tribulation, that it is divine wrath and divine judgment. We know that our blessed Lord bore for us the wrath of God and His judgment. Therefore, we who are in Him shall not come into judgment. Wrath for others, but salvation for us at the rapture. 
And look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to what? Wrath. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if, if the tribulation is a time of God's wrath being poured out, uh, then and God tells us that we are not appointed to a time of wrath, but instead we are appointed to salvation, then that tells me pretty plainly that I'm, going to be, I'm not going to be here during the time of tribulation. The rapture will happen before that point. But let's go ahead and look at some more evidence from the Word of God. During this period, we'll see the wrath of God poured out upon the whole earth. Isaiah chapter 34 and verse number 2. Isaiah 34, 2. You can also stick your finger in Jeremiah 30. Isaiah 34, 2. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and His fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Again, we see where God is pouring this out on the whole earth. Uh, it's not just a portion of the earth, but the whole earth is in view. But particularly, He is dealing with the people of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 30, if you've got your finger there, look in verse number 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of whose trouble? Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. Listen, even in the midst of all that's going on, God's purpose in the tribulation is to bring Israel back to Himself. They've rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so we learn later in the Scriptures in the New Testament that we've been grafted in. For, and, and listen, as we're grafted in, God has said, listen, Hillside Baptist Church, will you continue to carry the truth? Because if you don't, you'll be cut off too. And so we've got to continue to rely on Jesus Christ. We've got to continue to trust in Him. We've got to continue to go out by faith. And here he says in Jeremiah 30 and verse number 7 that God wants and desires to save Israel out of His wrath. His desire is that through the tribulation, men and women would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen, God's wrath doesn't need to be poured out to the believers in the church. We already believe. Amen? We are to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We are to believe that there is only one way to heaven. He's not just the, uh, a way, but He is the way. And so this time of tribulation is poured out to those who have rejected Jesus Christ and rejected Him as the Messiah. And so here we see a, a reminder again as I read this scripture, For God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. The church, as we, as we consider the church, there is some confusion. I, I quoted to you from Dwight, Dwight Pentecost, and, and, and I really want to encourage you. We believe the Word of God, right? We, we believe what God's Word says, but also we, we like to take it literally, amen? Uh, so we, we're not trying to read a, a, something into it that doesn't belong. We want to, uh, when we do Bible study, what we do is we try to learn. Uh, we, we read the text, we study the text, we understand the background of the text, we understand how the original uh, person would have received it in the, uh, in the original time. And so we understand, try to uh, really grasp how that, the, the text was intended at the period, and then we can apply it accurately to our lives. And so a lot of people, they take these texts and they... Uh, figure out, uh, they spiritualize them, or they, they, uh, they do not, excuse me, interpret them literally. But instead what they do is they, they say, you know what, well, it could mean this, but I really think it means something like this. And so what happens is they get a, con a distorted view. But I like what Pentecost said when his, he said, if you take a literal approach to the Bible, he says, then you have to believe that, uh, that in the pre-tribulational rapture. 
And I believe firmly in the Word of God, and I believe firmly in what God's Word says. And so, since the church couldn't have been in that first uh, prophecy in, in Jeremiah, six, uh, excuse me, in Daniel chapter nine, we also have to believe that it's not in that last prophecy as he talks about that last seven weeks. It wasn't in the first 69 weeks. It's not going to be in the last week that's there. And so as we consider all of those things, we see that, that God's Word is very plain to us tonight, that this is, we're not looking at uh, being raptured, uh, raptured in the middle of the tribulation. We're not going to live through it. It's not going to be at the end of it, but it'll be before it ever begins. One more proof, uh, proof text here in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 10. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 10. Revelation chapter 3, twin says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And so there's two things that I want to look at very quickly here. In this one verse, we see to try them that dwell upon the earth. Let's look at that first word dwell right there. Uh, those dwellers upon the earth. Uh, Thayer remarks that this term, ketoikeo, uh, has the idea of permanence in it. Okay, uh, so this judgment is referred to in Revelation 3.10 is directed toward those earth dwellers of that day. Listen, are we earth dwellers? No. I don't belong to this earth. My citizenship's in heaven. Amen. And so my citizenship is not here on this earth. And so as we consider that, he says, those who have identified themselves with earth's commerce and religion. I've not identified myself with earth's religion. I've identified myself with the religion that God gave me in His holy book. I've identified myself with Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him alone. And so therefore, uh, he's talking about them that dwell upon the earth. And so the second thing we see here is to try them that dwell upon the earth. That word try them literally means to inflict evils upon one in order to prove his character and steadfastness of his faith. Listen, when God looks at you tonight, if you're a believer here in the church tonight, He doesn't see you, He doesn't see your sin what He sees you is He sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ and He sees you only in that lens as perfected in Him. Isn't that great? Man, I, I look, uh, y'all look at me and see a, a, a sinner, amen? But God sees me, He says, man, what a, what a perfect Son of God. What an incredibly humbling moment. And you know, if, if, I'm the, if I am that to God... I shouldn't need to be tested to see if my faith is genuine. I shouldn't need uh, to, to go through the trials that he's talking about here in, in the tribulation. The literal interpretation of the scripture can only point to the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. As a believer in the literal word of God, I'm grateful that we will be spared from the wrath of God to come. And really, it energizes me to continue to share the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 13 with me. Romans chapter 13, verse number 11. As we consider the, the imminence of the, the rapture of the church, as we consider the, the, the fact that it can happen at any moment, I want you to see in verse number 11, and that knowing the time, and that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. 
The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, and not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Listen, he says, now it's time to awake out of our sleep. It's time to awake, old church, out of our slumber. It's time to see that God's return is near. And I'm excited about the fact that Jesus Christ could literally come before we finish our time here tonight. I tell you what, I hope that, that, that we, we get so serious about Christ's return that we have rapture practice. Wouldn't that be fun one morning to put on bed sheets and go and jump on the hill and say, Woo, Jesus, come take us. They might call us something different. <laughs> Might lose a few members over that one. But I tell you what, I, I hope that we get excited about the return of Jesus Christ. hope that we see that this is, this is something that is, is coming soon. And as a church, it ener- should energize us. That man, when Christ is coming again, we can be sure and steadfast and unmovable. Amen. So, let's look together. I've got a few more minutes. I'm going to cover a little bit more ground with you tonight as we look at the, the coming events. He says, occupy till I come. We want to continue to carry on the business, so let's do that together. Let's look together at the Bema Seat of Christ because once you're raptured, the next thing that happens is the Bema Seat of Christ. Now, in the, in the, uh, uh, for the Romans, they would have uh, a lot of games and different things. That, they they kind of like the Americans in many respects. We just love our games, Amen. And so they had uh, chariot races, and in the center of that chariot race and, and a pivotal spot, there would be a, a place that they would call the Bema seat or the place where the judge could sit, and the judge could see everything that happened on the race. He'd see the corners and make sure the races didn't cut any corners. He'd see all that happened to make sure everybody played by the rules. And so uh, we call this the Bema seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10, if you want to look there with me. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 10. One of these days we will stand before the Lord and after the rapture we have the opportunity to stand before God Almighty. And as we stand before Jesus Christ and the Father, I tell you what, it's either going to be a very humbling moment or a very exciting moment for us as believers. Because we're not going to stand there based upon whether or not we're going to heaven. That's already been settled. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit seals you. You are forever His. There's no one that can break that seal. The Bible says that you are God's and there's nothing that can take you away from that. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 8 and verse number 39 reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we're not standing before God as believers based upon whether or not we're going to heaven. That's already been taken care of. Now, at this point, He's not looking to see... uh, What He's looking for is He is looking for us to give an account for our lives before God. The Bible says every idle word, everything that we do, we will stand before God and give an account. You just think about that post you put on Facebook last week. Oh, I shouldn't have put that on there. But everything that we do and say, when we stand before God Almighty, we will give an account. Let's look here in the Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. 
but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Listen, the Apostle Paul was warning the church in Corinth, and he says, listen, you will one day stand before God to give an account for your life. All of us. In the, in the parable of, uh, that we were reading here at the beginning in Luke chapter 19, those, each of those servants came and they stood before God and they had to give an account for their life. They had to give an account for how they spent that pound. You know, and each one stood before their, their nobleman. And each one stood and said, I was able to make ten more pounds. I was able to make five more pounds. Well, I'm grateful for the pound, but here it is. You can have it back. What are you going to do with your life? 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 5, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. He will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. Listen, all the things that we've invested in, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about building on the foundation. We dealt with that some on Sunday. And he says you can, you can build on it wood, hay, stubble. He says gold, precious jewels, or stones. He, said, he says, and, but they will all go through the fire of God's testing. Some things will be eternal, some things temporal. He says, and those eternal things will, things will be a, a great blessing to you at that point. Uh, there are five different crowns that we recognize in the Word of God, and I don't have a, a whole lot of time to go through this all together at one point. But, but I just want to kind of give you these scriptures. You can jot them down in your notes, come back to them later, and do some, some uh, more in-depth study, and perhaps we'll uh, do that in the future. But as we look at these different crowns, there's uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 25, there's the incorruptible crown, the crown given to those who love the souls of men and are willing to go out and win souls. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 19. There's a crown of rejoicing. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 8. There's the crown of righteousness. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. There's a crown of glory. And then Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10. There's a crown of life. Now, you can spend some time studying the different crowns that God offers. But listen, when we receive these, we're not going to keep them and wear them on our heads. You know the best part about them? When I bow before the feet of, of my Savior, I place them at the feet of Christ. Amen. What a glorious thing it will be when I can lay something at the feet of my Savior. Tonight, I hope you're ready for the Lord's return. I hope that you personally have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior because all those who have rejected whether they have rejected because they've never heard or they've rejected because they've heard and then Satan said, why don't you just wait a little while? You don't have to make that decision right now. People are looking. Listen, it doesn't matter your excuse because if Christ were to come at this moment, you would be in a world of, of, of hurt. If you made it through the tribulation, there's nothing but destruction on the other side. I urge you, I plead with you, I beg you tonight. Don't wait another moment. Would you come receive Christ as your Savior if you don't know Him? Christian, boy, I, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the coming of Christ. Amen. I don't know if I'll have, if I'll have a, a, a jewel. I don't know if I'll have a, a penny. I don't know what I'll have to give Jesus Christ. But I hope I can give Him something. 
of what a glorious day that will be as I stand before my Savior. I hope that you're ready for that moment.